back to the Being Forces Friendly podcast, a monthly podcast where we sit down with experts from the armed forces, government and business to discuss engaging with defence and the mutual benefits that come from it. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Being Forces Friendly podcast. Uh, I'm Neil Jacko-Jackson. I'm the Director of Defence Relationship Management, and I'll give you a little bit more detail on what we do uh, later on. Um, uh, This is our 12th episode, and excitingly, it's our first international episode. Uh, Today, we're joined by Hayley Ison, who's the Director of the Australian Defence Reserve and Employer Support um, uh, team, And she's dialed in from Australia just to prove that the tech works over the uh, COVID era. We're also joined by Gareth Williams, who's the director of veteran engagement at Job Oppo and is, interestingly, a veteran of both the British and Australian armies. And what our aim today really is to discuss the synergies between defensive floor engagement in the UK and Australia and also partnering with defence on a global scale. But also important is this, this is our April episode and many of our listeners uh, tuning in uh, will be cognizant that it's not longer, not long after Anzac Day, which of course takes place on the 25th of April. Um, And as a bit of context, on the 25th of April 1915, soldiers from Australia and New Zealand, known as the Anzacs, landed at Gallipoli Cove, uh, part of an allied effort to capture the peninsula from the Ottoman Empire. Now, unfortunately, the campaign failed and resulted in the deaths of some 44,000 men from the British Empire and France, including 8,500 Australians and nearly 3,000 New Zealanders. Uh, Since 1916, the day has become a day of national significance to both Australians and New Zealanders, um, serving as a focus point for armed forces commemorative events in both countries and across the world. It's a unique event, particularly in Australia. It has become both a celebration and a commemoration. And in this episode, we'll have the chance to pick up on that and talk to our Australian counterpart, Hayley, and Gareth, as we said, a dual UK and Australian veteran, um, about what the day means to them. And um, talking of them, let's um, let's start by introducing um, ourselves and our respective organisations to give a bit of an overview of how we fit in with uh, wider defence um, structures in Australia and how the synergy might um, look look like for what we do here in the UK. So as I said, I, I'm Jacko, the Director of Defence Relationship Management. And um, Defence Relationship Management was set up in 2014. And really, um, our main role is to act as the interlocutor between defence and employers, uh, primarily to look at operational capability. Now, that may sound a bit odd, but what I what I actually mean by that is, is that if you have a supportive employer of a reservist, then you have an operationally capable reservist, because that relationship has to go hand in glove. The employer needs to absolutely understand what it is that their reservist does. But importantly, it also creates a mutually beneficial partnership between the reservist and the employer because of the transferable skill sets uh, that they bring to both of those work um, environments. And really our main purpose in DRM is to to ensure one thing, it's to serve the armed forces community. Some of you will have heard me say this before, the armed forces community, as far as DRM is concerned, is made up of service leavers, veterans, it's made up of reservists, those who are unfortunately wounded or injured or sick as a result of their service, cadet force talent volunteers, the cadet movement, although a standalone youth organisation, we have a lot to do with them, 
and indeed the partners and spouses of all of those. So it's it's a massive, massive uh, community. We reckon of about six million um, souls uh, across the UK. And so, as I say, our, in DRM, our main function is to support that armed forces community. And we do it primarily through delivery of the employment arm of the armed forces covenant and also the employer recognition scheme, which I'll save because I'll talk about uh, a little bit more about that um, coming up uh, uh, later on. So um, I think it's probably only right that we start with our, um, uh, our longest uh, distance guest today, um, Hayley Ison, as I say, Director of the Australian Defence Reserve and Employer Support Organisation. Hayley, welcome. Great to have you with us uh, today. Uh, maybe you could give us a bit of an introduction into, um, into um, who you are and what you get up to. Ah, thank you. Thank you. I feel like I should open with G'day um, that, since I've come in with from Australia. So I feel like that's expected from me. So, uh, yeah, so thank you for the introduction. So I'm the Director of uh, Defence Reserves and Employer Support here in Australia. Um, and our primary role is to provide direct support to the Australian Defence Force Reservists, their employers and the community. Uh, so my team is uh, based all around the country um, and we're broken up into four key areas. So uh, we lead on um, engaging through uh, the regional engagement space. So I have offices in each state and territory in Australia, which uh, build positive relationships with our civilian employees of reservists through engagement activities. So we uh, will take them out to give them defence experiences, uh, which we call activities such as executive stretch and executive boss lift activities. Uh, so some of our more popular activities are we take um, uh, employers to Malaysia for one of our big activities where they get to see a reserve unit uh, on the ground uh, doing reserve training for uh, at the end of a four-month deployment. So uh, for us, those light bulb moments where you see somebody truly understand why somebody chooses to have two careers and serve the ADF as well as having a civilian career is, is, really, um, is really our sweet spot and, and, what, and what we love doing. Uh, the other complementary areas of my organisation are the National Priority and Planning Team, which focuses solely on the strategic planning behind how we engage effectively with our reservists and their civilian employers. Uh, and they uh, run things like the um, Supportive Employer Program, which is a national program that we run to um, get employers on board to support their reservists publicly um, and uh, and, and engage with us and let us know what they need from us to support their reservists better. We also govern um, programs such as the Employee Support uh, and Service Protection Program. So Employee Support is a, a program that we run where em civilian employees of reservists are able to uh, seek reimbursement from the department uh, just to support them uh, in replacing reservists when they're on reserve time or just offering them, um, you know, a little bit of support to say thank you for giving us your reservists. Because at times, uh, you know, reserve service can, you know, can take staff out of the office for a long time. And the other um, thing that we also run is the Reserve Service Protection Act, which is a legislation that protects reserve service in Australia. So, um, we, we monitor and we um, provide support around reserve service protection there. Uh, and we also run policy and international engagement as well. So 
We are part of a number of international bodies that support reserve service and also other initiatives to support civilian employers of reservists, including the Prince of Wales Awards, uh, which are rewards that are offered to reservists where we pay for them to go and conduct training that will support their civilian employment. Uh, so one of my most favourite ones that we've uh, supported was a teacher based in Tasmania who really wanted to go and do this training so he could instruct his students uh, to be whitewater rafting instructors. So he went to America, did the training course and has come back to the school and that's part of what he does as an outdoor education teacher is he gets all of his year 10 students qualified to be whitewater rafting instructors. Um, and that's been exceptionally beneficial to the school because it gives the kids additional um, qualifications as they're leaving um, and they've been able to use it as team building exercises for the teaching staff as well. Uh, and we also offer the Tasman Scheme, which is an exchange program with the New Zealand Defence Force, where we have uh, some of our guys go over and embed within the New Zealand Defence Force for two weeks. And then we have some New Zealand Defence Force soldiers come over and embed with it in, in embed with us. So uh, we offer a lot uh, to support our reservists, our civilian employees of reservists and uh, contribute to ensure that we continue to do the best we can by our um, ADF reserves. Wow, I mean that's a that's a huge program you've just outlined there, um, Haley. I have to say, um, I think I need to get myself on the Prince of Wales Awards. Um, we don't have much white water here in the UK, but I tell you what, it's uh, I, I, I wouldn't mind that. No, it's amazing. I mean, what a what a program. I think there are already some synergies starting to come out. I mean, it's interesting about uh, we have the Reserve Forces Act, uh, which is uh, and you know and reviewed every every five years. Um, uh, not dissimilar to that which you outlined and of course we're just going through at the moment some uh, some tweaks to the legislation for the armed forces covenant as well which is really interesting interesting and exciting stuff and it, and of course um, we've also recently well a year now unbelievably had the office for veterans affairs stood up here in the uk um, and there's a lot a lot of activity going on in that space you know and as well um, in terms of uh, getting getting um, positive outcomes for uh, for veterans such as national insurance contribution uh, relief uh, uh, for employers when they uh, when they employ a, um, a veteran which is fantastic and that's just recently been rolled out and um, Haley, really interesting thank you so much and um, and 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 our next um, our, our other guest on the, on the uh, podcast today is um, is gareth gareth williams director of veteran engagement at job oppo and um, gareth welcome and um, maybe you could give us a, a bit of a synopsis of what you get up to but you've got quite a challenge because Haley's sort of throwing the gauntlet down with a pretty substantial outline of activity there. Well, that's right. Hopefully my boss isn't listening, but uh, thanks very much, Jacko, uh, for the introduction uh, and the opportunity to, to come and talk. And, and uh, good morning to you and good evening to Hayley. Um, it's great for me to have the opportunity to wear both hats concurrently, um, particularly around the end of April uh, coming up towards Anzac Day. And it's a period where I sort of, I consider my uh, my Australianness, if that's a word, more so than ever. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you say, uh, Jacko, I've been fortunate to serve in both militaries um, and towards the end of my Australian career um, as, a, as a reservist as well. So spent four years or five years, sorry, in the British Army as an officer in the Duke of Wellington's regiment um, before transferring to the Australian Regular Army and the Royal Australian Regiment um, in 2003, um, four, sorry, um, and served for a good 10 or 12 years out there. Part of part of parcel of my service and, and lots of people service in the ARA, the Australian Regular Army, is to spend time with a reserve unit um, or and working alongside very closely with with uh, reservists. Um, 
And it's interesting, and we'll go on to this, I'm sure, but the, the, the culture of the reserve in Australia is very different to what it is in the UK. Um, and I, I've probably said this a few times before, but I'm sure, I'm not just saying this because you're on the call, Jacko, but I'm sure that the UK can learn a lot from Australia um, around um, how reserves are treated, how they're managed, how they're welcomed and how they're used. And I mean that in the nicest sense of the word, um, because the experience um, uh, is fantastic. Um, and I think that, again, from, from, a, from a veteran's perspective and, and, and a transition perspective, which is where I currently sit, um, I know that Haley's organization do a lot of work with employer awareness. And there's a double edged sword with that. Obviously, that, that helps serving reservists and it helps their employers understand what defense does. But also from a transition perspective, it helps uh, uh, potential employers understand the skills and the transferable skills that people can, you know, people amass whilst they're wearing uniform. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great to great to be here. And thanks very much for, for the invite. And I look forward to, to a good, healthy conversation. No mention yeah, of the no, thank, Thanks, Gareth. You're absolutely right. I think um, uh, I, I was um, very fortunate two years ago to go to uh, uh, a, an international conference in Washington, which had all of the NATO countries represented. Um, uh, you know, and indeed, you know, I, th I think there were a grand total of, I think, about 36 countries represented. And it was a, an employer support um, 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 conference. It was about how each of each country does things slightly different. And I, and I do recall much of the debate, both um, at the conference and in the margins, was about how each country does it slightly differently in terms of how they um, view their reserves how they employ their reserves. And I think there's some exciting work, which is um, on the cusp of being released in this country, which is uh, entitled Reserve Forces 2030, which is a look at how reserve forces um, are going to be employed going out to 2030. It builds on the future Reserve 2020 um, work, which was um, started way back in um, 2011. Um, so I think there's some exciting times ahead that'll, that'll force us to have a look at that. And it will force the discussion uh, between mm. employers um, and and reservists, um, you know, to to be to be much closer um, mm. and much more understanding. And I think uh, in terms of uh, that, Haley mentioned it before. It's almost that twice the citizen description mm -hmm. um, that a reservist the reservist is. But uh, and as I said earlier, you know, a, a reservist employer um, really does have to understand a reservist and able to 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 be able to support them. So I think that those communication channels, but understanding what the reserves bring to the fabric of the nation. And I think, you know, we mobilised, uh, I say we, the, the Ministry of Defence mobilised um, uh, over two and a half thousand reservists to support the COVID vaccination and testing programmes over here, uh, which I think is a, you know, is a great achievement. Um, and the employees were really on side about that because they said, do you know what, this is for the good of the nation. So uh, they got right behind it. And normally we would expect to have about a, um, a certain a, a relative percentage of employers who appeal against the reservists being mobilised. Uh, we had one out of over two and a half thousand for the COVID uh, mobilisations, which is yeah. uh, we, we like to think part of the discussion we had with them beforehand, but also um, the fact that they understood the importance. Uh, and I think that's that's would be a significant benefit from for your guy from you guys um, to have been able to demonstrate the benefits and the positivity around reserve service due to the pandemic um, and when the pandemic's gone and something else eventuates um, then we can always reflect back on the positive experience that that you know that that had um, so that's always looking for the positive I guess that's a good good yeah well, well no you're absolutely right guys I think well well if I can then let's pick up on that experience piece because um, as we've said you know as a both a British and an Australian army 
veteran and indeed um, reservist. Um, so, you know, you spent time embedded, as you said, uh, with the reserve unit. I think it was in the Solomon Islands. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that experience. And, um, and also, I understand as part of that um, process, you, you actually did some employer engagement events. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so back in 2007, um, the unit I was the adjutant of at the time uh, was was warned out for deployment to the Solomon Islands. Um, the Solomon Islands had been a, a deployed air, a deployment area for the regular army for about four years at that point. Um, and then the, the decision was made that uh, the situation had changed. Um, and there was, because of other things as well and other commitments, uh, there was a need to, to turn that into a reserve deployment. Um, so we pulled together a company of 120-ish um, uh, individuals, uh, of which myself and I think four others were members of the regular army. Um, so the remainder, the vast majority um, um, throughout the, the rank structure were army reservists. Um, so for me, that presented quite an interesting challenge because I was pretty heavily involved in the in the preparation, um, both the, the sort of the administrative side, but also the the operational the operation side. And it soon became in, soon became obvious to me that that with my regular hat on, we would deal with the individual, um, and we would deal with the family. But then also we had to deal with the employer. And again, I mean that in, in, in the nicest possible way. So um, we had to make sure the employers were engaged as much as the families were engaged. And we had to make sure that the employers understood the, the, the commitment and understood times the individuals were going to be away during preparation training and when their period of full time service started and what that meant to them, um, what they would be doing when they deployed, how long they would be away for how long leave they were entitled to when they got back, what skills they would amass, et cetera, and, and what they would bring back with them. Um, so that was really interesting for me. And, and I think that, you know, we lean pretty heavily as, as the inaugural uh, deployment of, a, of an army reserve capability um, to somewhere like the Solomon Islands. You know, we, we tested capability, we tested policy actually um, way back then. Um, and obviously the situation has changed significantly with Iraq and Afghanistan since then. Um, but it was was really quite interesting for me personally, and and, and as Haley touched on um, earlier, um, Operation Boss Lift, for example, um, was an act or act, not an operation, an activity, an, an exercise, an event uh, where we brought employers out to the Solomon Islands to see um, their people um, in green kit um, doing the job that needs to be done, and that was a a, a great experience for them as, a, as, a, as an employer. It was a great experience, um, I think, for the employees and the reservists to show their boss what they're up to um, and to introduce them to the team. But also from, from our perspective was the ability, again, to reinforce the skills and the experience that that individual was was amassing um, during their time. And I think also last point on that really in terms of the, the benefits of the, of, of the reservists, again, from my perspective, it really opened my eyes to, as we spoke about before, the sort of twice a citizen. So Johnny, who was a rifleman uh, as, a, as a young guy, was also a, a primary school teacher or also a builder or also a plumber. Um, and those skills in those particular operations are hugely important. And that that's really sort of stayed with me for a long time in terms of, you know, the ability that the, the, the skills and the, and, and, and the experience that these individuals bring with them to augment the, the military operation that you're serving on. So it, it, was, it was a great experience for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that that really opened my eyes to the need to to look out for and look after and, and really engage the employers um, at that pretty tactical level. That's an amazing uh, experience that you had, uh, I must admit. Uh, and I think um, uh, when I reflect on what um, on what we do similar, um, I think it sounds like uh, the, the, the Australian programme is more is more detailed. I mean, I, I might touch on that in a moment. But, but Hayley, I mean, reflecting what Gareth just said there, um, 
you know, what can you tell us about how about how this type of support of reserves fits in perhaps to the wider um, defence employer engagement strategy um, in Australia? You know, one of the strands you talked about earlier. Yeah, so it's really interesting. So in Australia, we so the ADF doesn't um, conduct any um, exercises, uh, operations, or deployments without a reserve component. So reserves. Oh, really? I didn't are, know that. Oh, so there's yeah, always a component. Wow. Yep. Okay. Everything that we do, there are always reserves as part of our capability. So reserves are actively con contributing to everything that we do as an organisation. So to continue to have the support of their civilian employers is exceptionally important to us. So for an example, as part of um, Op Bushfire Assist and Op COVID Assist, uh, we've utilised more than 10,000 reserves to support uh, those operations uh, within Australia. So that's um, almost a third of our reserve force have been used in the last 12 months to support two very different activities within, within our country. And we absolutely couldn't have done that without the support of their civilian employers. So um, that's, so from our perspective, uh, what uh, or how we support our employers uh, in the best way we can. So at the end of what Bushfire Assist, uh, we um, we conducted thank you activities to thank the employers of of the reservists and uh, sort of and we did touch on so the boss lift activities and it's really interesting that um, that Gareth mentioned uh, the boss lift activities to the Solomon Islands because uh, we had taken a boss lift activity to Malaysia at the very beginning of 2019 um, and one of the civilian employees that had come along on the activity had actually been part of the group of employers that had gone to the Solomons uh, mm. many, many years before um, and he sort of had been invited to come along to Malaysia and, you know, and he spoke with such pride about, you know, being able to support reservists within his in, within his um, business because of the way that they come back from a deployment or the way that they come back from a service and, and, you know, and he made a point of saying that, you know, his reservists always come back walking a little bit taller and they're a little bit prouder and the skills that they learn within um, the ADF just transition back into everything that they do within their work, uh, within, within their workplace. Um, and it became particularly apparent to me during a, um, an activity where we had flown uh, medical CEOs from around the country into a Roll 2 health facility, which is an operational hospital uh, during Talisman Sabre, which is one of our big um, defence activities that we run. And so all of the uh, medical staff from hospitals around the country were working as reservists within uh, this Roll 2 health facility, treating people on the ground. And the CEOs came in and were completely fascinated at what they were able to achieve in essentially a tent in the middle of a paddock and, and the type of, uh, you know, like medical activities that were being undertaken in that space. And they were like, well, if this is what they can do in a tent on the ground in, in the middle of Queensland, this is why they're the leaders within our organisations and this is why they take charge, you know, in the ICU units and within the wards of the hospitals that they work within because they can operate effectively within this. So um, it's it's really interesting to sort of get that perspective of the employer. So within Australia, these employers absolutely see the um, value of reservists and the um, and the transferable skills that reserve service offers. Yeah, I think the transfer. I, I mean, I'd actually uh, you, there must be uh, 
despite the distance, there must be some telepathy going on. I, I'd written down transferable skills, uh, you know, which is an amazing, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's an often used phrase, but sometimes it's not particularly well, um, I think, outlined what those are. Um, and quite often uh, we get wrapped around uh, the axle on definitions on between hard and soft skills. And a lot of people often talk about the fact that um, someone who is adaptable, who is a good leader, uh, who, who has good planning um, skills, uh, and, you know, and, and, and has the ability to look at a problem, conduct some analysis uh, based on what they've been taught in their military service and apply that to a, a, a perhaps a civilian uh, uh, workforce or indeed, you know, a, a crisis um, situation. Is, is almost priceless as a skill. And one of the things that I, in particular, um, I'm often um, uh, um, told by employers is, is about the speed with which uh, they find um, service leavers and veterans from the regular force, but also their reserve component. Um, when they start a new job, um, the expression of getting their feet under the table and being in a position to add value uh, in the commercial sense to the bottom line of that organization tends to happen much quicker with those with those individuals than it does for, for some individuals who've come from other parts of their organization sometimes who understand the commercial uh, um, background perhaps more intimately and that's because um, I think a lot of it is because um, the military is a learning culture every day is a lesson in the military both be that regular or reserve and I think Therefore, your ability to sort of suck up information in a learn in, in, in a new environment, decide how you're going to add value to it, and then press on and do that. Not blind, not blinded, blindly um, going for that, but you know, drawing on all of your experience is really important. And I think, in terms of skill sets, I think that's that's something we could probably, I, I am certainly in this country, I think collectively do a little bit more to sort of do some skills mapping between the skills that exist in the military, both regular and reserve. Uh, and how we get that across. And I know that that's work that's, um, that's ongoing uh, with a whole load of organizations such as Forces in Mind Trust um, over here, a key research um, capability, but also internal to the, uh, the, the Ministry of Defense and indeed our organization, we're looking to do that as well. Because to my mind, it's all about mutually beneficial partnerships. It's really interesting what both Gareth and you have said about, you know, we run a program called Employers Abroad, uh, which is where we take the employees and reservists out to some major exercises. So, for example, they go out to Norway um, uh, and they see um, all, all, everything that's going on um, out there. And we also do a lot of um, medical uh, regiment um, based across all three services of the Navy, Army and Air Force, uh, where employees go out and see, you know, just picking on what you were saying, Haley. And of course, you know, operationally, we've seen that with over the, uh, in this country with the COVID, uh, there was the building of the Nightingale Hospitals which was the surge capacity hospitals. And that was primarily done through, um, um, you know, um, well, the military were the key um, uh, um, organisational uh, uh, people that, that brought that together, which was phenomenal. So um, if I can move on then, we, we talked about ANZAC um, at the start, and, and I've just, you know, you, you, you just came up with a really great phrase, Haley, about um, they walk taller and prouder uh, when they go back into their, civilian workforce having having conducted some um, activity or maybe they just walk taller and prouder anyway because they feel that they're giving back to the sort of fabric of the nation but um, as I said at the beginning of the episode we mentioned Anzac Day uh, and I think it um, uh, and it, it makes sense to think about how important those national commemorative events like Anzac Day are but importantly how they impact 
on the perception of the armed forces. You just talked about it a little bit, Haley, but perhaps you could build about that, about how, you know, what, what perception does, um, does Joe Public in Australia have of its both regular and reserve forces, do you think? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, and look, I guess from my perspective, I'm I'm probably not the expert on that. Uh, but but what I can say is I can say that there was absolutely a sense of national pride and support around. Uh, the ADF's assistance and particularly the reserve assistance uh, to op bushfire assist. Um, and it was, uh, there was just this sense of national pride that the reservists came out and stepped up and helped the nation uh, to, to support us in, in a time of crisis. So, um, and one of the ways that I was, we were really able to, portray that to the nation was as part of our uh, National Reserves uh, Employee Support Awards, which um, is, is part of our recognition program. Uh, and because of COVID last year, we actually weren't able to conduct any activities around the country or, you know, offer any thanks to the support that was provided during what bushfire assist, or it was very limited before COVID uh, sort of kicked in. So, what we what we did uh, to create that level of recognition around the country was we um, hosted our national employee support awards uh, as as a video and part of that was focusing on a small community within Australia which is called Kangaroo Island and Kangaroo Island was significantly impacted by the bushfires and they were almost burnt out completely. And you would have probably seen footage of koalas being rescued and yeah. uh, koalas treated in facilities for being, you know, being burnt and um, injured during the bushfires. And within, you know, two days of, of the call going out, more than 700 reservists went to this tiny island um, off South Australia and provided support and we had the mayor of Kangaroo Island, uh, Councillor uh, Bob Teasdale, come in and talk about his own experience with reservists um, and how the, the, the thoughts on the island and the, the exhaustion that the locals felt all kind of disappeared when the reservists arrived and started cooking them barbecues and started letting the children go and climb in the trucks and provided not only comfort and food and support but really gave them hope um, yeah. and that that video went out and it had significant viewing around the country because it really articulated how reservists contributed to Australia and and the way that they were able to step up and support because of their supportive employers. So if you haven't seen that one, I will do a shameless plug and say jump onto the Defence Reserve Support website and check it out because it, it, it really does, um, you know, push why we need to support reservists with civilian employers um, and, you know, and the skills that they have and, and how they contribute to um, defence capability and capability outcomes so i uh, would highly recommend it but it, the um... we will. well we will certainly go on that and indeed what we'll do is uh i think uh you know we'll attach that uh, as a link to the uh to the podcast um so uh, in terms of them um, i mean it's amazing what you just said there about 
the, the coverage that the armed forces have had. Because here in the UK, on the back of uh, of COVID and, or, you know, just most recently, the very sad passing of uh, His Royal Highness, the uh, Duke of Edinburgh, um, and, 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 and the military component that took a part in that, and the pride that the nation takes in seeing its military um, supporting uh, that, you know, that particular, uh, uh, the funeral event um, of the weekend. I mean, Gareth, you having served in the army in Australia, um, how do you think the ANZAC spirit, if I can call it that, impacts the public perception of armed forces personnel, both your experience in Australia and here? Yeah, Jacko, I mean, the ANZAC spirit is very much an Australian thing rather than just an ADF thing. Um, and, and it clearly, you know, without opening a can of worms to, to a lot of people, that's that's the birth of the nation, um, the events at Gallipoli um, and the reasons why. Um, and you know, it took me a it took me a few years to to get under the skin of of that and and to learn about the the the, the story um, and the myths uh, of in, in some cases. But I think you you asked earlier on about the perceptions of the military, and I think it's really important that um, my perspective is is that um, the public and, and Joe Joe public don't don't see any difference between a, a human being in uniform, whether they're full time or full time or reserve reservists, national servicemen. People have, have, have worked Second World War, um, Vietnam, anything in between, Iraq, Afghanistan, and obviously in, in all the peace support um, and, and, uh, and sort of community support operations and events and activities that have happened over the last 50, 60, 70 years. And I think that, again, culturally, um, the understanding of the reliance on militia in the old in old money um, and the reserve uh, in, in sort of conventional terminology has been has been much closer than in the UK. And I think that 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 reliance and that understanding that that the size of the standing army in Australia has, has gone up and down a lot far more than it has in the UK um, and therefore when you reduce the size of the full-time army and you increase the size of the of the regular of the uh, of the reserve capability then you need to uh, need to give a bit of trust and, and, and make sure people understand the benefits of that um, but uh, yeah but I say in terms of uh, Anzac Day I mean I, I've been involved in in a number of Anzac Day events both in the UK and and Australia and overseas actually and and I think that the two that stick out to me particularly are um, the, the small service and ceremony that we put together outside the war in Afghanistan in 2010 um, which was which was interesting in itself um, because we literally said a few words and some soldiers said to me actually beforehand, boss, are we going to talk about you know, what happened last year as opposed to what happened 100 years ago? And I think that, that that again made a penny drop for me in terms of the, the shift that's happened or was happening around Anzac Day. It's not just about the old diggers. It's not just about um, you know what happened on the beaches in Gallipoli uh, in 2015, uh, sorry, 1915, but it's also about thanking and in the broadest sense of the term, uh, the soldiers that, that serve now and, and today. Um, and the other sort of particularly moving Anzac Day experience for me was in 2015 in London, um, was was the centenary event um, at the Australian War Memorial there on Hyde Park Corner, um, attended by Prince Harry and a number of other number of other individuals and representatives of, of, of both Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Um, and again, it's really interesting to understand and try and unpick what Anzac Day means in the UK. And interestingly, again, the first ever Anzac Day parade was in London in, in, in 1916. Um, and, and seeing some of those imageries and, and, and understand how how big that event was. And ever since then, there's been events on Anzac Day or around Anzac Day at Westminster Abbey. So there's a, there's a big service there, again, that's attended when I was there in 2015 by Her Majesty the Queen um, and a number of other key players throughout the MOD. So it's not just an Australian thing. Um, I think we all know that. Um, but it's it's certainly a, an opportunity for the civilian population um, 
and this is a very a very Americanism, um, but to say thank you for your service and thank you very much for all you do for our nation. Um, and, and, and it's an opportunity then for the, the uniform and the, the, the civilian organisations to come a bit closer together. Whereas in the UK, perhaps we don't necessarily have that. Remembrance Day is a bit of a different beast. So yeah, Anzac Day in itself was was is is a is a, is a good thing. Um, it's good for for defence engagement and good for the military. That's really interesting, Gareth. And of course, you currently work for a recruitment agency which specialises in placing veterans into meaningful employment. Um, and do you think that that helps, therefore, with the conversations that you have with employers? Uh, do you think there's a, a, a growing positive narrative in the UK in that respect? There's a growing positive narrative. It needs to grow a lot more, if you ask me, Jacko. Um, and I think that, again, you know, going back to the way that Australia has worked with employers over the years, historically and culturally, I think that's that's why that conversation um, is a lot easier and perhaps better and further forward. And as I said, where, where the UK can perhaps tap in and, and learn quite a lot from Australia. But yeah, absolutely. That there's, there's There needs to be a change in the perceptions of, of the skills and the experience that, that military people have and the benefits and the power that they can add to an organisation. And again, as you said, on Jacko is that you know it's not just about taking those skills and those experiences but actually from a business perspective it's improving how things how things work it's improving the bottom line it's driving performance um, and that's because of the confidence and the skills and the experience that these individuals have amassed over you know over however many years in in, in the military yeah no I, I absolutely agree guys I think you know learning more from our international partners is certainly the way ahead and I think um, picking up on what you were just saying there as well, I mean, you know, as you well know, Gareth, because, you, you know, your organisation has been engaged in it, but in the UK here, and Hayley mentioned um, uh, this before, but we deliver the uh, the Ministry of Defence's Employer Recognition Scheme Awards, uh, bronze, silver and gold, and um, uh, which essentially is designed to encourage employees to support defence, but also to inspire others to do the same. And, um, you know, um, the bronze is very much um, a, a thank you level for having signed the Armed Forces Covenant and therefore wishing to or, or making pledges uh, which seek to underpin the, uh, the principles of the Armed Forces Covenant here in this country, which is about um, no disadvantage to those um, who have served. Not advantage, unless it is in a specific case where advantage based on uh, impact of service is absolutely required, but it's about no disadvantage for, um, um, for having served. And it's across the areas of, um, of health, housing, education, employment, uh, and welfare. Um, the, so, so the bronze is very much um, a thank you for signing up to the Armed Forces Covenant. The silver is then uh, taking that a step further where organisations and employers are actually starting to do things which positively impact on that um, Armed Forces community. And then ultimately for us, gold is where um, they've taken all of those steps. So they've introduced, for example, HR policies um, such as uh, giving 10 days additional paid leave to a reservist each year to enable them to conduct their reserve uh, their reserve training. That's one of the key criteria, for example, for, um, for achieving a, a gold award. But more importantly than that, um, when, uh, the gold award holders, we have um, 355 in, in the UK, it's about them advocating um, to others what that mutually beneficial um, partnership partnership is. I mean, Hayley, you mentioned it briefly about um, the programme that you have in Australia. Could you maybe just give us a bit of a feel, uh, a, a bit of a broadening of, uh, of what your recognition scheme is in Australia? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, we, um, so we have a number of ways in which, in which we recognise 
uh, supportive employees of reservists. So we we run employee support awards. So we have uh, state awards that are conducted in each state and territory around the country, um, and those awards feed up to a national awards uh, that's held every year at the Australian War Memorial, um, and it's, it's it's quite a big event where the CDF attends and the Minister for Defence personnel attends and and and, and recognises the employees that have gone above and above and beyond to support their uh, reservists. So, and some of the stories are phenomenal. So we, uh, one of our recent winners in the Tasmanian Awards that were conducted last week was a company that had um, had a reservist who was being employed on a casual basis and they walked into the office uh, to sign their employment contract and Opbush Fire Assist occurred. And so that reservist was uh, called out. So they were compelled to serve on reserve service for uh, two months. And the employer said, don't worry about that. Off your total, go and serve your nation. And uh, regularly checked in and, uh, you know, uh, offered them, you know, additional support. Is there anything that you need for your family while you're deployed? Um, and then when they came back, they threw a party to welcome them back into the workforce and they, um, you know, and they commenced their role within the organisation. And this was a person who had not served one day working for that company, but that employer was, you know, so proud of, um, they were so proud of what that person had done uh, for defence. So uh, the other things that we also uh, are running at the moment is we're standing up the Supportive Employee Program, uh, which uh, has existed for a long time within the Australian, within our space, uh, but we're rebranding it and actually asking employers to be invested in the program. So rather than having somebody just ask you to sign up to something and you never really engage with us again, uh, it's actually about you committing to actively supporting reservists in your workplace and, and committing to partnering with us moving forward so yeah so that's that's sort of a broad overview of some of the recognition you've got, you've got really senior level uh, interest in that which is fantastic i mean similar to the uk where the secretary of state for defense is uh, is very much uh, uh, you know engaged in particularly in the uh, in the gold level awards but uh, you know varying levels of defense are interested in, or, you know right across uh, the breadth of, uh, of our awards. But yeah, I, I, and Gareth, I mean, I, you know, you've been engaged with this. I mean, uh, do you think that uh, the ERS is a, is a good thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I certainly do think it's a good thing. And I, 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 as you probably know, I was involved in our uh, walking our gold application through when I was uh, my previous employer in, in, the, in a military charity. And, and I think yeah, I say walking yeah. that through, it wasn't as simple as that, but um, <laughs> uh, managing the application um, and absolutely it's a good thing. And I think the more positive conversations can be had across across the globe across the sectors uh, about the benefits that that military personnel can bring um, and not just veterans obviously you know and i'm very conscious that you know we're here to talk about reservists particularly but also in the family space as well um, i think the prs scheme is good it is a good thing um, and i think that uh, it can only help uh, employers particularly um, talk uh, in, in higher terms um, and, and any any additional employer engagement um, is, is always seen as a positive um, from a transition perspective um, but also from a, a development of the understanding of, of what what both elements can bring to each other. No thank you Gareth and I, and I think um, look we, we, that has been a a great conversation uh, thank you so much I think if we if we look at this as uh, you know our first foray into an international discussion I think the key lesson that I've learned is that uh, 
we should have uh, got on that boat a lot earlier. I think there's an awful lot that we can share uh, between um, our, you know, all all countries who are engaged with uh, ensuring that both their regular and reserve forces are both recognised, are both understood, but also um, um, celebrated by um, by everyone in the you know in the countries and the different approaches that there are to that. Um, I think you know, like every um, day, every day is a lesson, as I said earlier. And I think it's one of those things where the key lesson for me here is is to do more uh, to uh, to interact with our international partners uh, to learn those lessons. Because I think the uh, the other key message from uh, that I've taken from today is is about um, understanding uh, the value that the transferable skills bring between um, the, uh, the the regular and reserves of our uh, of our respective um, militaries into the civilian workplace and how the synergy and the mutually transferable skills um, should be recognised and uh, utilised uh, in, in perhaps in greater fashion. It only leaves me to thank um, Hayley, all the way from Australia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Gareth, thank you for joining us um, today as well. Uh, I think for the UK component now, we sort of go back to work. And, uh, and Hayley, I hope you go off and have a well-earned sundowner. Thank you so much. Um, as with all of our episodes, uh, the relevant links and further information on everything we discussed uh, will be able to be found in the episode bio. And if anybody has any questions, um, having listened to our podcast today, uh, don't forget you can find uh, Defence Relationship Management on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. And we'll also provide the links to, uh, to Hayley and Gareth's um, uh, um, um, you know, um, personal links on, on LinkedIn or whatever, depending on what they're comfortable with. I didn't talk to them about that earlier. Um, so that if anyone wants to reach out to them and get some more information based on the um, on what they've covered today, um, either from their organisational perspective or, or just to talk about their own experiences. Yep, happy to talk to anyone. Yeah, no, look, I yeah, exactly the same. And I will get into trouble by my team if I don't do a shameless plug for the Defence Reserves and Employee Support LinkedIn page as well. So it's only new and we're very proud to have it stood up. So, um, yeah, would love to get some more followers, particularly um, from the UK and in your space. So thank you. Right. Well, you have a commitment from uh, from DRM that we'll do that and we'll put it up on our uh, put it up on our, uh, as I say, on the podcast bio. So, um, Hayley. Gareth, um, stay safe and uh, really thank you for joining us today on, uh, on this, our 12th episode of the Being Forces Friendly podcast. If you don't want to miss out on next month's episode, then hit the subscribe button. And if you have any questions for us or want to know more, you can contact us on Twitter at DRM underscore support. Thank you very much for listening. 